You're listening to the Tech Life Today podcast, featuring thoughtful stories and diverse personalities of the alumni, students, and staff of the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. This is the place to learn and be entertained by people with a passion and a purpose, both inside and outside the classroom. The Tech Life Today podcast is an extension of techlifetoday.ca, Nate's online magazine. You can find more stories online by visiting techlifetoday.ca or going to Tech Life Nate on Twitter and Facebook. Even in good times, new grads have to hustle to land a job in the workforce. They have knowledge, but might lack industry experience compared to more veteran job seekers. Add in record lows that have rocked Alberta's resource economy and a global pandemic, and you have a job market unlike anything we've seen in decades. Any job seeker could use a helping hand right about now, but especially the class of 2020, which is why we have a great guest joining us today. Hello, I'm Brian Allery, your host for today's podcast. I'm a writer and editor for techlifetoday.ca. In today's episode, we're speaking with Shannon Neighbor. Shannon is a partner with Svensson Neighbor Recruiting and the chair of Nate's Alumni Association Advisory Committee. She'll be sharing tips on how to produce a resume that dazzles, a LinkedIn profile that stands out, and how to prepare for the new normal, the virtual job interview. She will also be answering your questions about the job search, questions submitted by Nate grads and students over social media. Shannon, welcome to the Tech Life Today podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. Shannon, you have the, you have the distinction of being the, the first repeat uh, guest on the Tech Life Today podcast. Wow, so I'm so honored. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here for a second time. And um, I know a lot of people have, you know, questions about, um, you know, the, the climate in terms of the job market, especially new grads. And, you know, we're all navigating new things here. So I'm happy to share my expertise and kind of give my advice and opinion on this. Outstanding. Well, let's uh, jump right into it then. All right. So in, in previous interviews with us, you've, you've often emphasized the importance of networking. Um, right now, obviously, conventional networking is out of the question. What are, what are some alternatives that uh, students or recent grads can be looking at? Yeah, so I think that there are still quite a number of opportunities to network. And in fact, if I might say so, I feel like for some folks, this is a more... Um, uh, more desirable climate to network in and is why I say that is because I feel like a lot of organizations have really been focused on how do we take what we've traditionally done in person to an online format and so um we're seeing tons of networking opportunities online through things like the cha- the various chambers of commerce, the business networking groups, um, you know, whether that be a membership-based networking group or, you know, something that anybody can join. We're seeing these organizations take that online. And a few reasons why is because, number one, I mean, everyone needs to pivot their business to a certain degree right now. Um, you know, we don't know when we're going to get back to, you know, whatever the new normal is and when people are going to start to gather again so organizations have to figure out how do we still do what we've done and you know accomplish our mandate and taking that in an online format but I also feel like there's been a huge emphasis on now more than ever business um, and you know people need support and so how do we develop those tools online so people can you know continue to take advantage. We've talked about LinkedIn before on the podcast Um, For a new grad in particular, and especially now, um, how do they make the most of of LinkedIn? So I think now more than ever, it is very important to have a strong 
online presence in a professional aspect. And so I think that when we all think about, you know, online and how we position ourselves professionally, LinkedIn is something that everybody thinks of. So, I mean, like a few things. Number one, as we kind of acclimate to this online world and, you know, meeting people virtually and, you know, maybe historically like companies are people who have not been adapted adapters of, you know, technology and business, they're forced to do that now. So I feel like more people are, you know, being aware of those ways to connect with people online. And, you know, LinkedIn is obviously one of them. And I think because now it's even more challenging when you're applying for positions because the number of candidates are so plentiful and a lot of very qualified people applying, it is using tools like LinkedIn to connect with your network, um, looking at who's connected to who, asking for referrals and really leveraging that tool to the best of your ability to make connections, get recommendations, see what's going on in the business community, look at opportunities and you know, being able to engage that way. You know, with with the situation that we're in, is, is now the time to have lower expectations um, when you're on the job hunt, or or at least realistic expectations? Yeah. So I hate I hate thinking about lowering like expectations, but I do think that this is a time to manage your expectations, and I think that. When we think about the kind of career that we want today, we should also, as professionals, whether that be new professionals or tenured professionals, think about what we want in our career in the next year, three years, five years, 10 years, and where we kind of see ourselves going. And then think about the things that we can look forward to in a career today that might help facilitate that growth down the road. So in saying that, you know, you might be... (laughs) a recent graduate, like let's just say from the marketing program, and maybe it's your dream to work at an agency. That might not be realistic in the economic climate that we're in right now. And, you know, it might not be realistic in the next year even. We don't know that. However, maybe think about companies or organizations or positions that can give you the experience you're needing or give you kind of like that opportunity to affect change, opportunity to work on neat projects. Maybe it's a smaller company where you can really get behind their vision and their mission. And, you know, think about those kind of things, not just I want to do this right now, or this is how much money I'm hoping to make right now. It's really thinking about more of the long-term game than the short-term game right now, I think. And sometimes I feel like you know, people will enter the workforce and they'll say, oh, like I'm kind of settling because I really wanted to to do something more. I had my eyes set on something else. And they wind up working for organizations where they spend very long, very um, rewarding careers, whether that be it's a larger organization and you can work your way up in the company or you're working for a smaller company where you really can just get behind what they're doing. And there's so much satisfaction in that too. So, you know, Think about things that way, not just like what I envision for myself right now. It's just kind of managing expectations, I guess. What are some of the advantages or disadvantages of doing an interview online or virtually? Yeah, so some of the advantages. So, I mean, for me personally, because we've taken everything online and every candidate we've met over the past eight weeks has been virtual. I mean, some of the things that I've enjoyed about it is, um, you know, someone doesn't have to get in their car and drive to our office and meet with us and then drive back to their home or their office or wherever they're coming from. So, I mean, it does kind of save time on that end. I think that some of the drawbacks are, I don't think that there's anything that can 
quite exactly replace that human-to-human interaction, reading somebody's body language, um, you know, those kind of things I think will always be important about the in-person interview. But, I mean, to be to be fair, I don't think that it's, it, like, nothing tragic would happen if we couldn't do in-person interviews anymore. Like, I do think that there is a way to effectively do a virtual online interview to kind of establish those nuances that you might in person. It's just kind of getting used to doing those things. Over Nate's social media, we asked students and recent grads to submit their questions to you for this this portion of the podcast. So I'm just going to fire away with with uh, several of the questions. All right. Okay. Lay, lay them on me. I'm, I'm ready for it. First one here is, how do we know if the interview went well? So I think that you can gauge whether or not an interview went well a few different ways. So number one, some of it is just having experience being in interviews, reading someone's body language, just kind of getting a sense of, you know, the way you're responding to questions and like the nonverbal and verbal feedback you're getting from the interviewer if they, if you think that they are, you know, feeling satisfied with the answers that you're giving. So I feel, you know, for me, because I've interviewed you know, thousands of people. I feel like I'm I'm a pretty good read of you know what's going well or what's not going well. Um, but I feel like that that's something that comes with experience is just being in that situation. One of the things that I always encourage candidates to do is to try and kind of sell yourself at the end of an interview. And part of that can be asking, um, you know, based on my responses today, you know, were there any areas of concern? Um, Is there any other area you would want me to elaborate on? Do you feel like I would be a good fit for the position? Do you see me fitting in with the organization? So at the end of an interview, you can actually ask for validation. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, you know, not being pushy or anything, but just asking, like, how did the interview go? Like, do you think I would be suitable for this role? When you wrap up an interview, you should always be clear in asking the interviewer, um, when might I hear back from you? How will you be in touch? What are the next steps? So if someone says, I'm going to get back to you, we're going to get back to the candidates who are moving forward on Monday of next week. If it's Wednesday, you might want to follow up or you might say, I guess I'm not moving forward. This is a big one here. Um, How do I get a job in this economy? I've sent out dozens of applications. Yeah, so this is what I think. So I think the number one key to that is apply early. So when you see jobs um, pop up on job boards, um, and a lot of them you can set up notifications so you get notified right away if a position pops up that is suitable for kind of what you're looking for, apply early. I know from experience, you know, sometimes we post, you know, jobs that are very, very popular um, and we might get hundreds of applicants. And we have actually had jobs where in the first week we've actually pulled down the ad because we've had so many applicants that it becomes impossible for us to even sort through that many resumes. So I would encourage people to apply early and think about applying for a job literally as a job. It can be a full-time job, staying on top of job boards, um, engaging with people, you know, through uh, places like LinkedIn, um, you know, and looking and applying and tailoring your resume, tailoring your cover letter, and doing that all in a very timely manner can be a full-time job. And I think that you have to be that on top of the job search. All you can do is apply early, have a resume that is a masterpiece, error-free, really articulates, you know, what you've done, what you've accomplished in like a quantifiable sense. Um, You know, like those are the things that you can control, but whether or not, you know, people call you back, like that's at the discretion of the person on the other end of receiving your resume. 
Okay, well, you, you, you mentioned a masterpiece resume. What, what goes into a, a winning resume? A few things. So number one, you need to have a concise and clear resume. So if at all possible, especially for newer grads who don't have, um, you know, as tenured of a career history, keep the resume to one page. If you are more of a tenured professional and it's absolutely impossible to do that, two page is like the absolute maximum a resume should ever be. Um, including information that is supported by data is incredibly important. So it's fine to say things in your resume like, I was an overachiever, but you have to be able to back up those things with analytical data that can support that. Um, so for instance, if you, you know, have experience, um, in sales and you're saying, you know, achieved sales growth. Well, what was the sales growth you achieved? 5% year over year. So that's data that's supporting that statement that you're making. And I think that even with um, new grads who maybe don't have a lot of professional experience, there are still ways to utilize data to support kind of what you're claiming. So whether that be a mark you got on an assignment or an accolade or a reward or an award you received, there are ways to um, showcase that. So I think that that's very important to try and include information like that. Um, I also think that the resume get multiple people to look it over, read it over, make sure there's no spelling mistakes, mistakes in grammar. Um, all of those things are incredibly important. And then because we're stressing the importance of also having that strong online presence, where I think on a tool like LinkedIn, you can include more information than you can on the resume. For example, projects you've worked on, or you would have some of those recommendations and endorsements there. Make sure that the information that's contained within the resume mirrors the information that is on LinkedIn. So the dates that you've worked at jobs and the courses you've taken at school are the same um, because I think that it can be a definite red flag if things aren't driving, um, you know, compared to both of them. So one of the questions there, I think you think you've probably answered that. How can I get experience without a job? And the person used the example accounting jobs need two to three years of experience. For sure. So anecdotally, I'll just tell a story here. So when I graduated from Nate, which was in 2000, um, and I graduated with a diploma in marketing, my goal was to work at an agency. Like I was so keen on like the creative process around marketing. Um, and that was really appealing to me. And Every single even entry level job I saw online at any agency or anything remotely related to agency work required that like two to four years of experience. And I thought to myself, like, how am I ever going to get experience if no one wants to hire someone who is inexperienced? And for me is what I did is I... Um, took a job at an, at an organization that was actually an IT consulting firm. And it wasn't exactly what I wanted to be doing, but the position that um, I had applied for and I ultimately got had a little bit of a marketing element. And so I thought to myself, even though this is kind of like has it this administrative slant and this like sales support kind of slant, which is not necessarily what I want to do. It also gives me the opportunity to work in this kind of marketing capacity where nobody else does this. So maybe this is how I gain the two to four years of experience. And then eventually once I have that, I can move on and apply with that experience that I have. So I felt for me personally, that was just kind of managing my expectations. 
Um, and like, you know, within accounting, I think that that's a good example um, because I think that there are ways to gain experience through, for instance, there's a lot of temp agencies where they would... Um, place or hire, um, you know, very inexperienced, like new grads that would really be working under someone who would maybe be doing like those more administrative aspects of accounting, but gain experience that way. So I feel like within any industry or job function, there are ways to gather the experience. Um, you just sometimes have to be like a little bit creative and manage your expectations as to like how you get there. Um, here's another resume question for you. Are keywords in resumes useful when applying to large companies? Yeah, so the applicant tracking system, I feel like that's kind of where this person who asked this question is kind of going because I get tons of questions about the applicant tracking system and it, it is keyword based most often the applicant tracking systems. Two things. Number one, you obviously want to capture certain keywords within your resume that are reflective of your experience and your capabilities. Um, I think that though oftentimes when you apply with a resume through an applicant tracking system, you have more opportunities to provide more robust um, information and to include more um, keywords, I guess, um, because for anyone who's applied to a larger organization, they've probably uploaded their resume. Some of the information from that resume is being parsed into the applicant tracking system, but you can actually go into the applicant tracking system and you can put in additional keywords. Um, so maybe that aren't necessarily in the resume, but you want um, to be searchable. Um, and I mean, like this is exactly how, you know, systems like LinkedIn work as well. Um, you know, it is based on keywords. You know, as a recruiter, I might put in a number of keywords, you know, based on the attributes I'm looking for in a candidate. And if you have that in your profile, you're going to pop up. And if you don't, you're not. So I do think it is important to be conscious of um, potential keywords, you know, take that information from the job posting. If you can see like certain keywords being used repeatedly in the job posting, maybe consider trying to incorporate that into the resume. If indeed those words do reflect who you are and what your abilities are. Okay, here's here's a fun one. Um, I've applied to several companies and have landed an interview with company A, but I would prefer to work at company B and I'm expecting a callback soon. What can I say to A so that I can wait for B's call? I still might want to keep A open as a backup. I love it when people hedge their bets like this. <laughs> um, okay, so I feel this because... I feel like people have been in this situation before. This isn't, you know, like this individual who asked this question. I mean, this isn't unusual. I feel like a lot of people have kind of... I think I've been in this situation totally. too before in the past, totally. right? A lot of us have. I feel that. In our experience, when we've had candidates kind of put us off and say, I can't decide, that is not setting the right tone. Um, so even if the candidate comes back saying, yeah, actually, I want to accept, that's already kind of set the stage for like, they didn't, did they really want to come work here? Is this really the right opportunity for them? And are they going to be leaving in a few months because they want to be doing something else? So I think from a candidate perspective, you have to be incredibly careful about how you're doing this and the message that that's sending and if that's setting you up for a long-term success with that company should you ultimately decide to accept the offer. Now sometimes you can you're getting close with the other offer so you know you don't you don't have to wait that long. Um, I mean you could always ask you know employer A can I have a few additional days to decide um, and they'll either say yes or no or can I get back to you by x date and they'll either say yes or no but you know being transparent about I can't make a decision until 
then is that okay to you? Um, and you know, making sure that you're maintaining communication with them. Um, but then also going to employer B saying, I have another offer on the table. Um, I just want to make you aware of, and I have to make a decision by this date to see if they can kind of hurry along the process if they're interested in you as a candidate. I don't know what the right answer for this is. I mean, I think that every situation is a little bit different. I just think that in the process of trying to hedge your bets, you can leave a bad taste in the mouth of both employers. Okay, well, that's that's great advice. Here's an interesting one. What is the hardest question to answer in an interview? Do you want to take a stab at that one? Yeah, okay. So I think that that's up to the individual. Um, I think that the questions that candidates typically struggle the most with in an interview are, I would say, questions that are more reflective of an employer wanting to gain understanding of what your self-awareness is. And so those are questions that would be like, tell me about your weaknesses, tell me about your strengths. And I feel like those questions kind of seem a little bit cliche and a lot of people like, you know, get a chuckle and maybe they've done, you've done some research online and you're like, oh, this is how I need to effectively answer this. And I feel like that's incredibly dangerous because I feel when employers ask questions like that, they're really wanting to know how self-aware you are. Nobody is perfect. Nobody loves doing every aspect of of their job. Nobody is so um, advanced in their career that they don't have anything left to learn or any way to develop professionally. Where we see most candidates struggle are answering questions like that. And I think before you go to an interview, you should do some you know, real reflecting on what are my weaknesses? What don't I enjoy doing? What have I been doing to, you know, develop myself professionally? And what do I know I need to work on? And what areas am I really strong that maybe I can um, provide guidance or advice to somebody else on? I think that those self-awareness questions are the most challenging. I just want to thank you once again, Shannon, for for sharing your time with us and your valuable expertise um, for all of the would-be job seekers out there. Thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And just if I can leave with a little, um, you know, note to everybody, just keep on, you know, trying and, you know, making those connections, applying for those jobs and just try your best to stay positive. And, you know, everyone, like I said, is in this together and really it might be tough right now but I think that in the coming months we're going to see things open up a little bit and so you know stay positive and keep working hard at your job search. Thanks again to Shannon Neighbor from Svensson Neighbor Recruiting for joining us today and thank you for listening. In the episode show notes you'll find related Tech Life Today stories including more interviews with Shannon like five ways to succeed in the toughest job market ever and how to make the most of LinkedIn. We also have seven tips to improve your resume and how to write a winning cover letter. You can also check out Shannon's previous podcast appearance, Putting Your Best Foot Forward in the Job Search. 